Hey there, it's Hedvig from Abundate. Do you ever feel like you're constantly battling against your multilingual brain at work? Maybe you struggle to find the right words in English, worry about your accent or your grammar, or you find yourself constantly overthinking your language use to avoid making a mistake. You're not alone. Did you know that this lack of confidence in your language skills can actually lower your working memory capacity? That means you might not be performing at your best if you're distracted by any language worries or uncertainty. But here's the thing, it's not your fault. We have been taught to approach language learning in a way that goes against the natural functioning of our multilingual brains. The good news is that there's a way to actually work with your brain instead of against it a way to develop effective communication strategies that go beyond just grammar and vocabulary, a way to gradually build your confidence and skills without dedicating hours every day, and most importantly, a way to bring your unique voice and personality to the conversation instead of kind of sounding like somebody else. Introducing the School of Certainty. Abundate's group coaching program designed specifically for professionals like you who use English as a foreign language at work. I understand your frustration because I've been there myself. And now I help professionals like you to confidently build and nurture relationships in English, bring out the best and most competent version of yourself and excel in your career. Don't let your language worries hold you back any longer. Join the School of Certainty and start your journey towards confident and effective communication. Visit abundate.org soc to get started. That's a-b-u-n-d-a-t-e dot o-r-g slash s-o-c. Learning a language is not what you think, but so much more. This is Abundate and I'm your host Hedvig Sandbu. Join us weekly for conversations with inspiring guests, practical tips, and powerful questions to help you find your path to successful learning and language fluency. For the second episode of the Abundate podcast, I spoke with Elise Cutts, who was monolingual up until two years ago when she started learning German through Duolingo and Netflix in her room. And in this interview, we get to learn about some of the challenges she overcame and also some of the surprising benefits of learning German. I knew I wanted to interview her for my podcast when I discovered her on Twitter literally a couple of months ago and her website, Monoglot Anxiety, where she shares what she calls a chaotic approach to learning a language. In other words, what resonated with me that she is learning in a way that is working for her. That's the key. And that's what I want to encourage you to consider as well. Enjoy. Welcome, Elise. I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Okay, so let's kind of dive into uh, language learning. And um, I wanted to start by just hearing a bit about your, you know, how you kind of went from really two years ago in 2019, you were a monolingual English speaking person in the US. And what made you kind of uh, 
dare I say, take the leap and start um, learning a foreign language? Well, I think I'd always really been fascinated by foreign languages. Um, I had to take them in school, of course, but um, being being an American who pretty much only knows other monolingual Americans or people who speak English perfectly, um, I just never really had a chance to use what I was learning in school, so I just lost it. And I was learning it for school. I didn't really think of it as something I needed for myself. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm learning so much Spanish. But then as soon as the Spanish classes stopped, learning Spanish also stopped. Um, but I'd always really liked English, like English class, really my favorite sort of subject and words, learning about the history of how words kind of came into English. And so it's something I'd always kind of been looking at, thinking it would be something I'd really like to do. But I was just always really too nervous to try. Um, and this is we can go a little bit into that later. I had a lot of sort of nervousness and anxiety around being in that vulnerable position of kind of trying to speak a language and not being able to do it. So I just never did. And I kept pushing it off and pushing it off. And I did my education in science. And then at the end of my bachelor's degree, I during my senior year, um, and maybe a little bit before, I was in a really bad spot. I just did not feel good, um, really just sad all the time. And one of the only things that I could sort of find the energy to do was pull out my phone and do Duolingo. Mm -hmm. So I got into this sort of coping habit where I would just do Duolingo for hours. And then I chose German sort of by accident because I took a class on Old English. I liked the case system. So I just stumbled into doing some language learning. And once I started to realize it was working a little bit, then I started leaning into it a little bit more. So I started watching a lot of German TV because again, I'm not motivated at this point. I'm super sad. All I'm doing is sort of like Duolingo and watching TV. And I kept that up for like four months. And at the end of that, I was like, oh, wait, I actually can kind of understand the news in German now. <laughs> so I really did just stumble into it. And I started learning a language at kind of like one of the lowest points in my life as a sort of like, oh, well, I can't really do anything, but at least I can't fail at Duolingo, you know? <laughs> like This was before hearts and all that. So you couldn't even like run out of. Yeah. Of <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of how I started. And it was just something I found really fulfilling because I did realize like, you can't really fail at it. You can always keep trying when I could fail my classes or I could like fail my career, so to say. Couldn't really like screw up a German sentence so bad I was never allowed to try to make it again so I love that that it almost because I, I think I can relate to this um feeling that when you're so unmotivated you you don't know you, you really are sort of unhappy in your life and you know you're kind of um just looking for anything that will give you a tiny spark of achievement almost like a self-care routine. Yeah. And um, that's really, really it. Although I wouldn't, I think self-care would be making it sound a little too intentional. Like <laughs> it was a cope. And sure. um, okay. It was a coping mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> and also um, a really good excuse to watch TV. Um, Cause I could, if I was watching TV in English, I'd sit there being like, oh, I just spent like five hours watching Netflix when I should be working on my, you know, X, Y, or Z assignment. Mm -hmm. But I was like, oh, well, I just spent five hours 
studying German. So <laughs> it's fine. Um, so, I mean, it, it was a way to sort of like weave in this sense of making progress on something that ultimately, like I was doing it for myself. I wasn't going to be graded. I wasn't even speaking to anybody at that point. So I couldn't be judged um, that I could see progress on without having to put in a lot of focused effort um, mm. at the beginning. Yeah. And I mean, your, your um, a blog is called Monoglot Anxiety. And you mentioned earlier, you know, a little bit of that sort of anxiety about being uh, a monolingual, a monoglot, uh, somebody who just speaks one language. Um, can you share a little bit about how how that kind of what what is that anxiety? Yeah, so the name is just sort of a running joke that came <laughs> from how I kind of described both my sort of like nervous fascination with languages and my sort of refusal to actually dig into learning one to my friends who were multilingual. So I had a couple of friends growing up whose parents spoke a different language with them at home or sent them to immersion schools. And I was super, super jealous of them. And I would tell them, oh, I just, I have all this monoglot anxiety talking to you sometimes. Um, but what that means in practice is both that I thought a lot about being monolingual, which is not necessarily something a lot of monoglots necessarily would do. You know, if you're living in a milieu that is entirely in your language and you don't have the internal or external motivation to learn a new language, of course, it's not going to be a stressful thing for you. But if you're me and for some reason, something in your brain is like, Elise, you got to learn another language. It's really <laughs> important. You really want this. Then it's a source of stress. Um, and then it's also this fear of judgment and this anxiety about failing um, hmm. that holds you back from trying because it's better to just, especially I think for English speakers, it's so easy to just keep speaking English and be on that high ground because people are learning your language and you almost always will speak their language less well than they can speak yours. Hmm. Um, so it's easier to just switch into English and you avoid that in embarrassment. So really it's this embarrassment, nervousness, fear of failure. And I really don't think it's an accident that the one time I started learning a language and it stuck was at this time where in comparison to everything else in my life, language learning felt like a low failure thing to do. Like there was low failure risk when you're alone in your room with Duolingo and Netflix there is not a lot of room to fall in a way that somebody <laughs> can judge you for. Yeah. So, um, but in class or like for just even interacting with speakers, like I waited a year and a half really before I started speaking to anybody in German. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's scary. And, oh yes. I mean, th th it's, it's, it's such a, a visceral reaction it's almost uh, like most of us with public speaking right we have this physical bodily reaction where we're sweating we're shaky and we're, we're you know we get a dry mouth and we're wondering is everybody staring at us you know we get super self-conscious and yeah it's the same with with speaking another language you kind of just lose every sense of 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 who you are and the confidence that maybe you have in your in your uh, first language yeah, it's, it's tough, too, because logically, you know that, you know, making mistakes is learning a language, especially making mistakes and being corrected 
while you speak is really important. And that's like, that's how kids learn. My mom's an ESL teacher. Um, and she would tell me that the way that she'd correct kids in class is often if they said something a little bit wrong, she'd just repeat the sentence back to them correctly. And that's just a very natural way to learn. But it's as an adult, especially, I think you have this ego developed, you kind of feel like a professional or a student or someone with a little bit of self-respect, um, at least externally. And you really, it's, you're loath to give that up for a second and be vulnerable for somebody. At least I was. Mm. Um, and it's still tough. I, my, my boyfriend speaks German and I didn't start speaking German with him at all really until probably three months ago. Um, I, I was just talking to tutors at first because they were literally paid to not judge me. So it's, <laughs> dealing with this anxiety is definitely, I think the thing that's held me back the most while at the same time, kind of paradoxically being the thing that motivated me to get started in the first place, like being anxious about being monolingual. Um, yeah. So, so can you kind of take me from on like <laughs> to put it in a cheesy way, take me on that journey from going from uh, you playing Duolingo in your room and watching German TV to, you know, when did you start speaking to tutors and when, like, how did that journey go from, from there to being able to now speak with your boyfriend, for example? So some of it, some, let's see. So at the beginning, I really was just learning to sort of understand um, I yeah. got to a point where I could read. Um, I started reading really early, like way above the level I should have been just because I have a no patience for kind of dumbed down stories. They really upset me. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather understand like a quarter of a book I'd already read in English translated into German. Like Harry Potter is a great one. It's mm -hmm. been translated into so many languages. And a lot of people are familiar with the story. I was so like struggling through that. Um, I did that for a long time. I, I just worked on my reading, comprehension, listening. I got to a point where I could watch TV. And then at a certain point, sort of once the pandemic hit and I had more time to reflect on things and more time to do things that weren't work, mm -hmm. um, I thought, hey, I actually can understand pretty much all of what I'm watching on TV. And I can understand pretty much all of the news that I'm reading. And I went and looked up some like C1, C2 texts. And I was like, I can read these. I could never produce anything close to this, but I can read these. Um, maybe, maybe I should finally talk to someone. Because <laughs> um, the point for me, and some people do just learn to, to read. Um, but I ultimately did want to be able to speak German. Um, so I thought about it. And since I had time, I signed up to do italki tutoring because I thought it would be like the least anxiety provoking situation it's one-on-one -on -one, so there's not a peer group that can sort of judge you or compare themselves to you and the person you're talking to is literally paid not mm -hmm. to judge you like if they judge you or are mean that they really are not doing their job and you shouldn't pay them yeah um and I've been an English tutor too so I've been on the other side of this and I kind of understand the mindset <laughs> that you're really not sitting there judging the person for not knowing like they come yeah. to you and you expect them to not speak perfectly yeah um so that was I just thought okay I'll do this to build up my confidence and I I did italki for a really long time um and then finally 
finally, I'm starting to get to a point where I have a, you know, I have a speaking partner that I met through my university's language exchange, who I actually, you know, meet in person and speak German with. That is not something I would have ever done a year ago. For me, I really needed to have that basis of being able to say, hey, I actually do understand everything they said to me before I can say anything back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not something that even like, even my boyfriend, I was still too nervous to talk to him. So it, it's just been this slow sort of both building my ability and like letting go of this idea that it's got to be perfect. Yeah. They've, they've grown together. I think with the next language, I definitely will try to start speaking earlier just because I don't care as much anymore. <laughs> so... Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned letting go, letting go of that perfectionism and, Mm. um, you know, I, uh, and we talked about this a little bit, uh, on our call last week, um, you know, how, what other kinds of changes in your mindset did you, you know, were there other things you had to let go of or, you know, develop or think about differently? Yeah, so a big one, especially as I started to get more into the language learning world and reading people's language learning blogs and Twitters and various media that people have put out online, is comparing myself to other people. Um, My study strategy is not a strategy. (laughs) I mean, I, I did Duolingo and watch TV, and then I started reading. It's super chaotic. You know, I don't have beautiful bullet journals full of German notes. I don't have like a schedule that I stick to religiously. I don't have a toggle that's all filled out with time tracking. And like, I did some Anki. I, I that's mostly was just like a coding project to try and make flashcards that could detect like grammatical features of words and color code things. So that ended up being like a lot more programming and a lot less <laughs> language. Yeah. Um, so I I had to really this is something that really intimidated me at first. There are all these people who are saying that they have like the perfect way to learn a language or like, if you follow this program to a T, then, you know, you'll be fluent in X time or um, you shouldn't put English on your flashcards or you should put English on your flashcards. And when I actually started digging into the research on language acquisition for that issue specifically that like monolingual versus not flashcards, I found there's like no consensus And that sort of cued me into thinking, okay, I should just do what works for me. (laughs) And what works for me is chaos. So I leaned into that and I stopped comparing myself to other people and started sort of standing up for my strategy rather than feeling ashamed for it or my non-strategy, I guess. Um, And then I started the blog. So I think it's just this not feeling bad for not having the perfect way to learn is something I really had to get over that was a big mindset shift. And then this, this failure mindset, like I can't fail, Mm -hmm. uh, feeling like you can't fail. That's something I really, really had to get over. Um, and yeah, being willing to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. that that's another thing, but I talked about that a little bit already. Mm. Yeah, no, I, you know, but you did mention the, the whole having been a language tutor, an English tutor, maybe do do you think that helped you to kind of understand that people weren't necessarily judging you as much as you thought yeah definitely so I I started going to italki for German a bit before I started tutoring English online but after I started tutoring English I really lost a lot of my 
apprehension about speaking to people. I still get it. And some days are better than others. Some days I know I'm not doing as well as I did the previous day. So it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've been on the other side now. And I do realize when you're sitting there, you're not thinking, oh, this person's so bad. You're kind of thinking, how can I explain this the best way? <laughs> it's it's mm-hmm. more about you and like what you you need to do to be a better tutor or exchange partner rather than like, oh man, they they really need to like go back to their A1 textbook before they talk to me. Like nobody's thinking <laughs> that. Um, and now having done a language exchange, I also realized, especially in these contexts that are built for language learning, there's really no reason to feel nervous because people go into it expecting that you'll make mistakes mm-hmm. and they're gonna make them too. Like my my German exchange partner, she speaks English better than I speak German, but she still makes some mistakes sometimes. And she's there because she wants to get her English better. She knows she makes mistakes. Um, so yeah, if if you're nervous, like it's pretty easy to get involved in tutoring or exchanges online these days. And it can be a really good way to put your nerves at ease, seeing how your brain works when you encounter somebody who doesn't speak your language perfectly and is trying to learn it. It was a huge mindset mindset shift for me. <laughs> yeah. I I uh, I'm I want to ask you a question um, that I would probably struggle to answer. So, you know, <laughs> forgive I'll do me. My best. I, yeah. <laughs> because um, you mentioned that you are now starting to speak German with someone that you know very well, right? Your boyfriend, who, mm-hmm. you know, you've been speaking English with, and now you're kind of getting to the point where you're switching a little bit and speaking a bit of German. How is that? Because that can sometimes feel really awkward, really different, right? Yeah, it's super weird. Um, Mm. And I think this is also something that made it harder at first. So we're long distance for most of the year. And um, it's really weird to ask to use some of your limited phone time to like struggle through conversations you could have in a minute in English. Mm -hmm. Um, And also he's different in German. Like he's kind of a different person the same person, but like different dressings, I guess he's, he's, it's like a different outfit that he wears Mm -hmm. when he speaks German. And um, yeah, it has been really difficult. I think also because I'm used to being on the linguistic high ground in some ways, like he uses English every day for his job. He's a scientist. And we actually kind of started getting to know each other better when I was helping him correct his manuscripts. So I would go over, help him correct his manuscripts at his desk and we'd chat and that's kind of how we got to know each other better. So our relationship started with me helping him with English. So it's been a huge role reversal. Yeah. Um, What ended up helping actually was meeting his family. So speaking German to him by himself in a context where we speak English with each other and we always have is weird, but his parents don't speak English at all. And his siblings speak English a little, but in their family home, you know, they speak German with each other. So it felt a lot more natural to start speaking to him there where German was the assumed norm rather than injecting it suddenly into you know, his apartment where we've always been speaking English with each other or our WhatsApp calls where we've always been speaking English with each other. Changing the context really helped. And then we were able to kind of take a little bit of that with us when we left visiting his parents too. 
So it's not like it's all or nothing. Like we visit his mom and dad and that's the only time we speak German. Um, I learned to sort of let go a little bit and he sort of realized that I actually could communicate with him. So it made it a lot easier having had that little transition. Mm. Almost like that context of that, that, you know, very kind of German dominated context helped to, I, I, I want to say flick a switch. Yeah, to both of us, I think. Like, I needed to have the faith that I could do it. And I think also he needed to see that it wouldn't be, like, super boring and terrible. He tells me that, of course, it's not, like, what you would think. But, you know, we have only, like, maybe 30 minutes to an hour to talk to each other every day. And, like I said, using that for language lessons feels a little weird, <laughs> especially mm -hmm. when I do, like, go to tutors. But he's been encouraging me to try to speak to him for a really long time, but we just kind of both of us kind of failed at making it happen for a long time. And one thing that also helped about visiting um, his parents was, even though I can't speak German as well as he speaks English, I was suddenly in a situation where it was really, really helpful that I spoke any German at all. Like, had I not, I just would not have been able to communicate with his parents without him translating for me. Hmm. So they, like, I didn't feel... Like I was imposing on them by trying to speak German with them. I felt like, okay, I'm actually doing something that's helpful rather than, hey, can you use your limited time to like deal with me being frustratingly bad at your language? Like <laughs> it's instead it's like, hey, you know, we actually do have a little bit of a way to communicate and it's getting better each day that we try. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that the attitude of the people around you will massively help as well. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you're, you know, his family wouldn't be, uh, you know, completely dismissive of you. And, you know, my partner is Italian. So when I'm surrounded by my partner's family, it's like a lot of Italian and much more than I can keep, keep up with. But they're not being disrespectful to me. They are trying to include me in, in conversations and uh, being very patient with me when I'm obviously making a billion mistakes because my Italian is still pretty poor but did you um did you feel nervous to talk to, I felt nervous to talk to Clemens's family um at the beginning just because I thought they would think I was stupid that I hadn't learned it well enough this goes back to this monoglot anxiety thing so if I had just stayed monolingual mm -hmm. then it would just be oh she doesn't speak German but since I'm trying there was a little bit of a risk that it could look like oh, she speaks German poorly. Like, it's almost better to be in this, oh, she just doesn't speak German rather than she's uh, trying but failing. At the beginning, I was so nervous about them thinking I was dumb. And I realized it was very much a stupid thing to think after <laughs> a week. So. Uh, I, I think I had probably gotten over that fear uh, because I had learned a few languages before trying to learn Italian by the time I was learning Italian, um, I was uh, I was probably a little bit too uh, accepting of my own mistakes, and I would just keep speaking. Um, and sometimes uh, it, I think it can be quite annoying to other people, but I just keep going anyway. And I'm sure I sound like an absolute idiot, but that's goals right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'm just I. I um, you know, it's almost like if you're, if you know you're really bad at a sport, 
Um, but you find it a lot of fun, right? Like I play tennis once a year and I have a lot of fun doing it. Um, but, but I'm not, I'm not very good. Like sometimes I hit the ball and sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, if I was playing against like professionals, I wouldn't feel like, oh, I'm so bad. Like, why am I not this good? Like why, why they're so much better than me? I would just be like, well, sorry, but this is me. <laughs> this is it. This is the level I'm at. You know, maybe one day I'll start practicing more. I'm not going to get to your level, the professional level, but mm. I'm I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because that's what I can do and I enjoy it. So, yeah, and you'd hope that you'd be playing with some professionals, right, who would have fun, you know, playing with somebody who's not as good as they are rather than just yeah. getting frustrated. I think that's picking the people that you talk to. Like, it doesn't need to be... Mm. Um, most people will be nice, but yeah. like if somebody makes you actively uncomfortable when you speak to them, there's like no shame in not wanting to do that. That's on them and like not True. on you. Um, Cause again, having been on this other side, like teaching English, it is really fun to share your language with another person. It can yeah. be. Um, and so you might even be giving someone an opportunity to like explain some quirk of their <laughs> grammar that they find funny or like just laugh with you about like, oh, wow, okay, this actually doesn't make any sense the way we do it, but here's how it's done. Like, <laughs> people who are good natured about helping you are like so much more fun to work with yeah. than, than people who aren't. It really makes you feel a lot less like a burden. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. Kind of actually, if somebody's making you feel bad, they're not the right people to be helping yeah, you. Obviously, they're not helping you. Yeah, it's their fault, not yours. Like there are plenty <laughs> of people who would love to talk to you. Yeah. But your point about like you're not going to get to that professional level, that's also something that I had to mindset shift with a little bit. So um, I think one thing I was really nervous about at the beginning was having an accent and sort of sounding dumb, you know, not getting to a point where I sound like a native speaker. And then I sat and thought for a minute. Um, I work in science, and it's very international. My advisor speaks English as her second language. So my boss is from Croatia. Um, She has an accent, and she's brilliant. And everyone knows she's brilliant. (laughs) Like it's not, and she speaks fluently. And my boyfriend is smart. And funny and he speaks with an accent and that makes it funnier like having this ridiculous Austrian like Arnold Schwarzeneggerian accent makes him so much funnier and he leans into it in a lot of cases rather than being shy about it and like I've had colleagues from Mexico and Chile and France and like the accents are cool and I think as an American I sort of have like a lot of American shame and like oh people won't think my American accent is cool they don't need to think it's cool but it's fine if I have one. People have accents when they learn a foreign language. It's fine. And you can learn to use it in even like a literary way without sounding like a native speaker. Most native speakers are not writing literature. Um, Most native speakers are just speaking. So you could even do some things that a native speaker wouldn't do with an accent or um, with a little bit of like some grammar mistakes here and there that need to be corrected. But there's no need to be perfect. Native speakers aren't perfect. You'll just kind of have a different set of imperfections. That's something I also like that really held me back at the beginning because I thought I had to speak without an accent. I was like, I can do the best I can. I can be understandable. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it's fine. It's fine to have an accent. Yeah. It's just what happens. It means you're yes. from somewhere. <laughs> and you know what? The funny thing is, we all have accents. Yeah. And it's it really it tells your story, right? It tells where you've been and where you where you're going. And um, there's yeah, I I fully agree. There's something really beautiful about accents, and um, I mean I, I I'm sure I'll talk more about this uh, in a different episode or something. But um, the the fact is that every accent. And whether you want to kind of learn to perfect an accent or not, that's up to you. Um, a lot of the time, it just, it takes a lot of work and it's up to you whether you want to kind of put that work in um, for, um, I don't know, it's it's an identity thing, actually, I think. Yeah, I mean, and it makes sense that some people might like choose to focus on that as a goal. But I think it was helpful for me to start thinking about having a perfect accent or like speaking flawlessly as one goal of many that one can have. Like for me, I get so much out of even just being able to read in German at a level where I can sort of pick up pretty much anything and read it just fine. That even just having gotten to that point would have been a a goal I would be happy with. And like some people will choose to value certain things. Maybe they value pronunciation more than they value having a huge vocabulary. But there are lots of different sort of choose your own adventure options and judging yourself by someone else just like isn't productive ever. (laughs) I think science is a very like toxic and competitive environment. And so language learning was sort of this playground for me to explore mindsets that are a little bit less damaging. And I think that's kind of why it ended up sticking. Um, So forgive me that I keep going off on these tangents. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, I think it's wonderful. And actually the, the, point you or the point I'm taking from what you just said is that also having uh language uh language learning as a something that is a break or something different from your day-to-day work uh stresses uh you know pressure um can be a really wonderful way to learn as well yeah I mean I don't think you have to to quit your job and go to a 40 hour a week language class to make reasonable progress. Right. And I also don't think you need to budget, or at least I didn't need to budget like three hours a day for focused study with a textbook. I got to reading and understanding almost everything I came across to a pretty reasonable level, almost exclusively with TV and Duolingo. Um, I did start reading books kind of early, but I didn't take classes. I wasn't doing a lot of focused study, learning the grammar. It helps that I'm kind of a word nerd in English and am familiar with how grammar works here. And I had taken this class on Old English, which shared some grammar with German, but I would really only look up things when they became really confusing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't memorize any declension tables or like I didn't memorize how to conjugate verbs. Like I just sort of did it when I had time but in all these little in-between moments when my phone just somehow ended up in my hand don't know how it got there but now I'm looking at it might as well open Duolingo yeah. so yeah I mean it, it, it's it's really something you can squeeze into all these little moments if you want to if you want to get something out of them or if you find it like satisfying or if your brain is a little bit 
if your inner critic is a little bit less critical when you're using your downtime for something quote unquote productive, mine certainly is like, I can watch TV without hating myself when it's in a different language. <laughs> I really give myself a hard time when I watch TV in English because I'm just like, oh, this is such a waste of time. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I, I really, I really do think it's, it's something you totally can do on the side or of whatever you're, you can kind of squeeze it into whatever you're doing. If if that's what you like, some people probably would prefer something a lot more structured. But for me, it really worked to treat it as this way to dampen my inner critic a little bit about the way that I was spending my free time um, doing lazy, quote, quote, lazy things. I'd like to ask you about any surprises when you were learning German. Were there any, was there anything that was kind of harder or easier, more fun or less fun? I think I was, and I think this is really my American bias showing, but I was surprised by how much of a world there is to discover when you learn another language. Like, of course, on paper, you're like, oh, this many people speak this language. There must be an internet for them. <laughs> um, but I was really pleasantly surprised by how easy it was to start you know, ending up on German subreddits and finding German YouTubers I really liked more than English YouTubers that on similar subjects to the point I get frustrated. I couldn't send the videos to people. Um, I was really surprised to find that. I mean, it was it was so easy to just get into the universe from from America. I think this is something easier with bigger languages. Like um, I know some people who are learning Danish who have to use VPNs to access a lot of stuff um, there. But with German, it was so easy for me to just start realizing, oh, hey, like there actually is like a whole world of content out there I would never have had access to. And then the thing that really, really surprised me, and I'm a scientist, um, which is <laughs> relevant to this, is how important it was historically in science. That was a huge shock to me. I had a vague idea like, oh, you know, German engineering, haha. But like <laughs> through time, English has not been the only language that people were publishing scientific literature in. And German and French were really, really dominant and had their own journals for a long time. Um, and I ended up being able to read the PhD thesis of the first person to graduate from my department at MIT in geology because she went to get her PhD in Germany afterwards. And there is no translation of her text. So I think I was just surprised by how useful learning a quote unquote useless language was. Cause like, you're not told, okay, learn German. It's going to be so useful for mm -hmm. you. You're told learn Spanish in the United States because there are so many Spanish speakers closer to us. Um, people really gave me a weird, like, why are you learning German? That's kind of a, a weird choice. Like, when is that going to be useful? But I, I really found if you learn a language, you'll find a use for it. Like it's, mm -hmm. there are people speaking this and producing content in it. Um, they have a history and a culture and things that you can find that you would never ever have access to otherwise. So it's kind of changed the way I've thought about what languages I want to learn in the future. So I think a lot less about like, how can I maximize the number of people I could talk to? And a lot more about like what cultural canons and history in media, do I want access to that I wouldn't have otherwise? Like Russian is really big up there on my list eventually, just because 
they have a whole body of science. A lot of it wasn't translated during the Soviet period. Uh I want to learn Russian. And that's really changed a lot. And it was a big surprise. I didn't kind of, I just assumed everything was translated into English. English is the lingua franca. It's very much my American bias speaking. (laughs) No, but I I mean, I'm constantly surprised by the number of things that isn't available in, in every in every language really because you would think that with kind of a lot of uh, translation being automated and um, but I know actually there is still a massive need for translation and translators human translators and yeah I mean maybe they're just not that bothered with all the Soviet research but yeah I guess the important stuff has probably been found but I mean this yeah. PhD thesis I read for instance is not like world-breakingly important but it kind of has personal significance hmm. um, and significance to the institution I'm affiliated with so I'm now trying to put together like an amateur translation of it so that other students can read it um, so yeah I guess it's this surprise that there is this whole this maybe really unnecessary surprise that there or unwarranted <laughs> surprise that there, there are whole worlds to discover out there, even in like less, you know, pushed languages in the education system. Like, I know that if I learned Spanish, I would be able to access a ton of really cool stuff. And I've been shown that at school, but I really didn't think about that for smaller languages having their own internet, especially um, languages in which most of the speakers that I encounter at work you know, I, I've encountered a lot of German speakers at work, but they all speak English. And I assume that especially with European languages in countries where there's a big push for English in school, that a lot of things would be translated or that there wouldn't be much of an internet whatsoever. But I really saw that that's not the case in Danish when I was in Denmark, like a lot less is translated than I thought it would be. Um, so it just kind of pounded in this value that even in a world with a growing lingua franca, there is still a lot of value in learning a language and that you shouldn't necessarily just pick it based on gross number of speakers, like pick something that has some personal significance to you. That's, yes, (laughs) that's, that's the biggie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's so true. Whatever language you pick, you will find the world, that world essentially opens up to you. Yeah. And you'll find it. Yeah. Okay, I think we're we're ready to kind of wrap up. Um, I wanted to uh, ask you about monoglot anxiety and um, uh, what are you what are you doing there and wh- what is your blog about? Um, so the blog is super chaotic, but at the moment, I'm trying <laughs> to um, I really try and write about just what I experience as I learn, and it's definitely from a learner's perspective. It's intended to not be you know, a polyglot blog that's telling you, here's how you should learn a language. It's more about what I discover as I learn and like tips and tricks that I find that maybe you should try out if you want. Um, And then I'm also running a challenge right now. I'm starting to learn Italian. I started last month. So for four months, I'm trying to learn Italian in the laziest way possible, just to prove that it is possible to learn a language without study guides, without textbooks, like just with Duolingo TV and dreams. So I'm starting from zero in a language I have no exposure with, uh, exposure to, and we'll see where I end up in January. Um, So that's running right now. And then I run a German newsletter. So it's a, if you're learning German, it gives you a free recommendation for a new TV show or podcast book 
just any piece of fun media that's in German was originally in German. Um, Cause I found a lot of people online, like don't really know where to look for good lists of, of content in German. So I, I sort of put this newsletter together. You can sign up for free and you can also access the archives without even signing up. So if you're interested in recommendations, you can just go check that out. And then I'm, I'm tweeting a lot. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of it. The blog is, is about self-teaching languages. The newsletter is German recommendations. Um, the challenge is, can you really learn Italian or any language <laughs> with just laziness? And then Twitter is for insulting Dutch, like I mentioned in the bio. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dutch. Dutch is great. It's I, the reason I insult it is because I just love the spelling because it looks like English meme spelling um, or German <laughs> meme spelling. So any Dutch speakers, I'm sorry, your language is cool. <laughs> just sometimes when I go through the Amsterdam airport, I'm like, what? <laughs> what is happening? Yeah, I I always find uh, Dutch feels like to me like a, a sort of a mix between English and German. It's like dank mm. u dank. Yeah, uh, like it kind of sounds like thank you, but with the German dank in there. And yeah, you know. the one that really makes me laugh is like help is spelled H U L P. It I can so imagine that being like a meme. You know, it's some picture of a dog with like big eyes, and it's this hope. <laughs> so, and your website is monoglotanxiety.com. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, that's it. Great. This has been a fascinating conversation, and I think my biggest takeaway from this is actually that the amount of kind of mindset changes that it sounds like you have gone through in really just a short amount of time like one and a half two years of figuring out first of all the different ways that a language can be learned it doesn't have to be in a super structured perfect way and then the fact that it opens up such a big world that you didn't expect yeah I I, I suspect you know I'm I'm not very far into language foreign language number two, but I suspect that a lot of the reason why I've heard from people, it's a lot easier to learn your second foreign language or your third or fourth than the first is because you've already kind of done all these mindset shifts. When you're learning your first language, your first second language, um, you're learning to learn it at the same time as you're learning that language you're learning. So like I'm learning German, but I also kind of think I'm learning to learn languages and hopefully that skill carries over going forward. Do you have any final advice for our listeners? <laughs> um, I guess don't take language learning or yourself too seriously. That is kind of the whole tone of my blog and the tone of my Twitter, because I think there's this temptation to really think everything's got to be perfect or it's not worth doing. Um, but that, at least for me, really, really held me back. And giving that up is the first time that I was able to actually make progress. So laugh at yourself, find someone who will laugh with you to practice with, and just don't beat yourself up or take things too seriously if you don't manage to like track all the time you wanted or do exactly the thing you said you were going to, because odds are you're making progress anyways. That's it, everyone. I hope that this episode gave you motivation, inspiration, and energy to take with you into your language learning practice. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be really grateful if you leave a five-star review, which you can do by visiting podcast.abundate.org review. Or if you use Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review there. This will help other budding language learners to find the podcast. The background music you're hearing is called Blanks by Poddington Bear and podcast graphics were designed by Sengflow Designs. Everything else was done by me, Hedvig Sandvu. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Hey, before you go, here's a quick reminder for you who uses English as a foreign language at work. Go check out the School of Certainty, specifically designed for the international professional to help build brain-friendly communication skills. So you can stop overthinking. Did I say that right? What's the right word here? Should I put an S on the end there? Visit abundate.org slash SOC for more information.